from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Faith and Freedom Friday. You know, as I travel and as I speak in different places, uh, one topic that often comes up is about how encouraging it is to hear about and from the many elected leaders who are Christians, committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the media certainly doesn't highlight this fact, and often they don't even give much of a platform to these leaders who are identified as uh, Christians, as believers. Uh, Is that by design? Probably. But regardless, the effect is that many Christians across the country feel disconnected from those who lead them because so often the leaders that are highlighted in the media have a totally different worldview. Now, this view of uh, all government leaders being hostile to what we believe suppresses our motivation to pray for government, as Paul instructed us. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he wrote, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayer, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we, now here's the reason, listen to this, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So on these Fridays, uh, or on these Faith and Freedom Fridays, we step back from the politics and the policies of Washington, D.C., and we hear the personal stories of uh, men and women of faith who, by the Lord, have been led to serve in this capacity. So we're going to meet two of those today. We're going to meet uh, Senator Kevin Kramer of uh, North Dakota and Congressman Chip Roy of Texas will be joining us later on this Faith and Freedom Friday. Before we jump into it, let me remind you, uh, this Saturday, this Saturday, we have the Stand Courageous Men's Conference. We're actually hosting the live conference uh, right outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in my uh, home city. But you can participate. It's being live-streamed. And so we've got groups all across the country participating in this men's conference, Stand Courageous. If there was ever a time we needed men to stand courageously for the truth, it is now. Find out how you can be a part of it. It's not too late. Go to TonyPerkins.com. And speaking of uh, standing courageous, I want to encourage those of you who uh, may not have uh, joined us with our two-year journey through the Bible, the FRC Bible Reading Plan, let me encourage you to uh, to consider leading your family through that. It's not too late to join. Go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, as I said today on this Faith and Freedom Friday, we step back from the policies and the politics of Washington, D.C., and we hear the personal stories. What motivates those who come to Washington, D.C., to serve oftentimes in, in very hostile, very uh, frustrating, I would say, circumstances. Well, joining me now is the senator from North Dakota, Senator Kevin Kramer, who I believe has one of those stories that will encourage almost anyone. Before his career in Congress, uh, Senator Kramer helped oversee the most dynamic economy in the nation as North Dakota's public service commissioner. Uh, the Senator Kramer currently serves on the Armed Services Committee, the Environment and Public Works, Veterans Affairs, Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs, and Budget Committees. He was elected to the Senate after three terms in the House, and he is the first Republican to hold this seat in his lifetime. Senator Kramer, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for the opportunity, Tony. Great to be with you. Well, I want to start, uh, you've, you've got a remarkable story of of, uh, of trial, tribulation, but of uh, grace-filled triumph. Uh, And I want to get to that, uh, but I I, want to start because there's something you and I have in common. Uh, As I was reading through, there was a point in your life where you felt the Lord was leading you into the ministry, uh, to be a minister. And and I had a very similar situation, and of course I've actually served as a pastor, but Mm -hmm. along that path I realized that government is a ministry if you do it the way God intended well, the reality is every job is, uh, whatever your vocation, is a ministry if you do it the way God intended. And and to be honest, Tony, and I don't know about your experience, but but in mine, I sometimes even struggle a little bit with uh, with people's view of my job as being somehow special. In fact, just, just last week, I, I, it was hard for me to articulate to the National Press Corps when I stopped by the sticks or the, the stakeout to, that, that I don't really see 
senators is all that special when it comes to, for example, the need for being tested, because they always want us to all be tested every day, the, the, the media. And I say, well, I don't know. I, what, if, what if somebody else needs that test more than I need that test? Uh, you know, so I think vocation, <clears throat> vocation is, is a ministry, to, you know, for everybody who's, who works and, uh, or stays at home or, or works at home. Um, so, that's, so that's sort of how I view it. Well, that's biblical. Because, you know, Paul says, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. And, and we're to serve and work unto the Lord, whatever, whatever capacity we have. But as uh, one who, who understands that, when you, you know, began this, uh, the Lord began to direct your steps toward the political realm, uh, how did your Christian friends respond to that? So it's it's a it's a great question because I will tell you I'll, I'll fast forward it and just a few weeks ago I did a eulogy for a friend at at, the, at a Catholic university I'm on the board of trustees at the University of Mary I am an evangelical Protestant that serves on their board and loves it um, and uh, I did this eulogy and after the eulogy one of the vice presidents came up to me and said oh I don't know Senator she said I really do think that. Um, you know, you, you could have been a minister. You, sh- you probably should have been a minister. Or, or when you're done being a senator, and we love that you're a senator, but maybe then you could go into the ministry. <laughs> and, and I'm always amused by that lack of understanding that I am <laughs> in the ministry, that I believe, as Martin Luther you know, professed, that in the priesthood of all believers, and that you know, we all have a responsibility uh, as followers of Christ to, you know, to express that in, yeah. in whatever way that we can. I will say this. The one thing that I have noticed and I have accepted is that the platform of politics does mean that you have a rather large circle of influence and a lot of people are watching and listening and some of them may not like it when you express yourself. But I had a wonderful Sunday school teacher and, and uh, he, he was really, he was really uh, in, in middle school, he was uh, teaching and instructing in my Lutheran faith during confirmation time and he said at the end of all of that he said whatever else you remember or forget about luther's catechism or the great confessions of the church or, or you know doctrine or theology or ecclesiology for that matter never forget romans 10 9 that if you confess with your lips that jesus christ is lord and believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you will be saved and from that moment on i've always believed that the proclamation matters it's not just the worldview as we we talk about it it's not just it's not about hyper spiritualizing everything but that the proclamation actually does matter and i've noticed that when you have this sort of platform as you have um the proclamation matters absolutely it's the power of the word uh the power of the spoken word and and i remember as a a student at liberty university as i you know was um, not interested in politics at all and the Lord directed me in that path. I remember reading John Calvin, who talked about being in that in an office like that is a high calling of God, and it, it put me at peace because oftentimes we look at government and and politics as dirty, as uh, you know something we don't want to get involved in because you know people attack you and they say things that are not true about you. And you know one of the things that as a believer, you know our reputation matters because it's a good yeah. name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And and part of that, I believe, quite frankly, Senator, is what Jesus said, that you deny yourself, take up your cross. We have to be willing to die to ourself in order to follow God, wherever that may be, politics, education, entertainment, or even in the ministry. Yes. Or even in, that's right. Uh, well, I, I, Martin Luther once said about his son, Paul, he wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, so he thought he should go into the ministry, or he was, he was too, he was, yeah, he wasn't smart enough to be a pastor, so he should go into the, to medicine. <laughs> You're listening to Washington Watch. This is our Faith and Freedom Friday. Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, my guest. Senator, let me, let me just j- jump into this question. Then I want to get to, um, a, a kind of what is, I think, a very revealing story. Um, of, of your journey, but let's talk about the centrality of of faith as it plays out for you as a United States senator. How important is it to you? Well, it's everything, Tony. I mean, I, I know it sounds, you know, it sounds overly simplistic, but it, it's everything. And that, again, that's not to say that I hyper spiritualize things. In fact, I tend not to. If, if anything, I tend to sort of blend it all in. Uh, but the worldview, you know, that you spoke of up front is really important, and it informs 
everything. So it informs your economic view. It informs your social views, obviously. Some things are real obvious, whether it's the life issue or family values issues, um, religious freedom, obviously, issues. But it's even more than that. And, and so you have a couple of things. Once, one, for one thing, the sufficiency of God's grace is such an encouragement every single day. And if you didn't have that, you'd, you'd wonder if you could even get through it in some cases. Now, I also want your listeners to know, and I, I know you tell them this, but there are a lot of people of, of deep-rooted faith, both in the Congress of the United States and, and in the administrative uh, agencies and, and in the executive branch, as well as in, in the courts. It's just that their stories are less and less relevant to the mainstream media, so they aren't told. I, when I step up to the microphones uh, at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week uh, with the national media, I, I often try to quote scripture if I can, and not, again, to hyper-spiritualize, but to sort of witness, if you will. And they really aren't, they're either very uncomfortable with it or they're not interested in it at all, or they're, to your point earlier, hostile toward it. But I still do it. And oftentimes it's live on C-SPAN, and while it doesn't make the NBC you know, news, uh, it was out there. It's out there. And so um, it's really everything but more than anything it is the sufficiency of his grace that allows me to sort of get up every morning and and walk through uh, walk through the day well, let me ask you about that one aspect when you came to congress and i know you had held public office in north dakota mm-hmm. uh prior to coming to congress and I, I know you you served in the house before coming over to the senate but when you came to washington were you surprised at the number of men and women who were sincere followers of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about just wearing a denominational label, but really sought the Lord. I, I was a little bit surprised, but Tony, here's, here's the thing. So, being a House member from North Dakota means you you are you know you're a caucus of one. We only have one House member. <laughs> Did you get along so, with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say North Dakota had a unanimous vote every time. But but what 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 we forget sometimes. When you when you live in the middle of the North American continent in a really good bright red state, but pretty mainstream state as well, yeah. is how diverse the country is. So, my wife Chris could speak to this far better than me because it was such a great encouragement to her when we got to orientation, when we were, you know she'd attend conference breakfast and things. Just how expressive people are of their faith, and she has done more to elevate the the respect of Congress in, in North Dakota than I ever could because she keeps telling people, no, you'd be surprised. They think I'm unique, see? Mm-hmm. It, but, and they kind of want to believe that in a way. They being my, you know, my close friends and you know, our family of believers. And she tells them it's more common than you think. And, 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 it, and so we even go to a little Pentecostal church, by the way, Tony, so expression comes pretty naturally. But when they hear that, you know, there are like 50 of them in Texas, and they're all Southern Baptists, and you know they they pray openly, and it's it's really really it. So it did surprise us a little bit to, to see that level of conviction and not know about it because somehow uh, CNN forgot to tell us. You know, and that's one of the points I make when I speak around the country is to remind people because I think it's that is motivation. Not, not that we should need it to fulfill the command in Scripture to pray, but when we know that we're praying for brothers and sisters who are standing for the same things we believe in, I think it makes it much easier. Easier, Senator Weppe gets a break. We're going to come back because I, I, I want you to uh, to tell part of your journey because I think people will be encouraged by that because so many people are walking through challenges and they need something to hold on to, to anchor their lives to. Folks, don't go away. We're coming back with more from Senator Kevin Kramer next. Do Christians have a biblical obligation to participate in government? Do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, what principles should inform them while casting their ballots? How should pastors think about politics, and how can they shepherd their congregations well during an election season? The gospel of Jesus Christ has implications for all areas of our life, including politics. Christians must be prepared to grapple with the moral issues of our day, the reality of our two-party system, and follow our Christian convictions to their logical end by voting for candidates that support clear biblical values. Family Research Council has partnered with 21 state family policy councils for a new edition of Biblical Principles for Political Engagement. This booklet provides biblical wisdom and clear answers to pivotal questions to help you navigate the political landscape. This publication exists to facilitate careful thinking about issues and encourage God-honoring political engagement that filters all issues and candidates through a biblical worldview. To read the full publication, visit frc.org engage. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to the Faith and Freedom Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it is at T Perkins. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the program, if you missed that, on Fridays, we're kind of stepping back from the politics and the policies of Washington, D.C., which, uh, quite frankly, I think uh, we all get enough of. Not that it, I mean, it's important. I get it. But I want to I want to give you a chance to get to know the people behind the policies, behind the politics And the fact that there are men and women of deep faith, commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those men joins us today, Senator Kevin Kramer of uh, North Dakota. We were talking about the centrality of the role of faith in his life and how how surprising. And I hear this a lot. And I experienced it when I first came and started working with members of Congress 17 years ago, just how widespread um, the faith is. In fact, the Christian faith, in fact, I think it's growing, because, and it tells me God is at work because more and more men and women of faith are leaving successful careers, like uh, the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, uh, in coming to Washington to, to serve in this capacity. So that's one of the reasons I'm hopeful, uh, because we're not there in the majority yet, but it's close. We're at a tipping point. Uh, Senator, thanks for sticking around and uh, continuing this conversation. I, I, I want to kind of turn a little more personal, if I can, in in the practical application of faith. It's one thing to talk about public policy and how a biblical worldview informs us, and that's important. Mm -hmm. But the true test comes in the trials of life. And just two weeks into your bid for senator in North Carolina, you faced what I would say is is a real trial and tribulation. Tell us about it. Sure. So you're, you're right. I mean, first of all, Chris and I made a really difficult decision to run for the Senate. We Neither one of us really wanted to. We were concerned about the things you talked about in terms of just how, how vicious the attacks are, how, how mean people can be, how untrue things can be, and, and the risk involved in all that. But once we, once we took the dive and made the decision that America was worth it, which was the conclusion Chris drew from a the discussion at the National Prayer Breakfast, actually, in February um, w- with Kellyanne Conway. Um, we we were at a Lincoln Day dinner where I was speaking in the eastern part of the state when we got a phone call that our 35-year-old son, Isaac, who's who we've had a struggle with for, for years, um, have, have deeply um, affected by by uh, alcohol and alcoholism and uh, sclerosis of the liver as a result of that, we got a call that he was in intensive care. He'd been brought in 
by a friend and uh, was in the intensive care at the hospital in Bismarck. So we uh, we quickly came home and spent a couple of weeks in the, by at his bedside in intensive care, not not being able to communicate at all, at least not to have him communicate with us before we were able to you know to bring him sort of bring him back out of out of um, you know the the, the the coma that they put him in to try to work on his liver and his kidneys and things, and, and uh, were able to stabilize him enough to go down to Mayo and spend a, a week or, or a little better down there before uh, he eventually succumbed to the disease. Now, we had the great blessing of being able to bring him to consciousness, to be able to have a few days with him, um, even hopeful days that he might, that God might heal him and that the doctors might be able to get him a transplant. But, um, but the cir- circumstances were such that he could not. But I had the great honor, and I, I really mean this when I say it, Tony, being at his bedside and listening to worship music with him um, and holding his hand as he as he slipped away from me and into the arms of Jesus. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget whispering to them, him, it's okay if you want to go, it's okay. And and um, and so we, we, we went through that. But one of the very last things Isaac told me in our conversations, you know, when he couldn't lick, he couldn't lick alcoholism, he just couldn't. It just had such a grip on him, and and um, I said, wouldn't you do it for Abel? Because Abel is his at the time, and and, and Isaac died on the, on Abel's eleventh birthday, by the way, March twenty second. He, he died on Abel's eleventh birthday. I said, Isaac, couldn't you do it for Abel? Well, Isaac introduced us to Abel when Abel was an infant, when he brought Abel's mother and Abel to our home on his birthday, on, on Isaac's birthday, and introduced us to his new girlfriend. Um, and Abel, of course, not his, being his son, um, quickly became a part of our family. Well, Abel, <laughs> Abel ended up becoming our son through a series of I- events, including after Isaac and his mother broke up and, and his mother married somebody, uh, it, turns out that he was an abuser and he eventually beat her to death Mm. and Abel at the age of just at his third birthday was the only witness to this murder and because of the establishment of the relationship with Abel as a result of Isaac introducing us to him um, we were able to establish standing and eventually became, you know, as I always like to say, the winners of the Abel lottery. (laughs) He, He became our son. I mean, I still can hardly get over it, Tony. Well, I tell you that part of the story because now we fast forward, and, and Isaac said to me, one of the last things he said to me when I said, couldn't you please give up drinking just for Abel, if nothing else? And he said, I've already done the best thing I could do for Abel. I introduced him to you guys. And so I'm getting, you know, I get emotional just still thinking about it. But it, it, And so when, when we let Isaac go away, the first thing that matters more than anything is the certainty of his salvation. Yeah. That he had. It was ironclad. There was no question about it. He, there was no turning back for him nor for God. And anybody that knows Scripture knows uh, what, what that means. And, and, and so that's, while it was painful to watch and we think of all of the things his mother and I do that we could have done differently or should have done differently or, you know, we'd be 35 years old, right? What, what, what can you do? And we go through all those emotions. Yes. The certainty of his salvation and, and our um, you know, being reunited makes all the difference in the world. But added to that is the fact that while we lost one son, we gained another <clears throat> through the same diseases because of the dysfunction of, of Isaac's life and the fact that we were able to bring Isaac and, and Abel's mom to church one Sunday when she witnessed an incredible presentation uh, of Scripture. Uh, she gave her life to Christ. So we knew that while she had this very bad circumstance and situation that in her death, she too, she too, you know, was saved. Um, Abel becomes this, this link, this little evangelical link uh, to all of that. And so um, I, I, I will just tell you this one other part of the story because I think it's... It, it, well, I'm going to ask you, to, I'm going to ask you to hold that sure. because okay. we're up against a break. And I think this is a... Um, a remarkable display of God's grace in the midst of the challenges of a world that has fallen. And and I want people to hear the rest of that. And, and, and I also have one more question for you. So, Senator Kramer, I want you to stay right there. And I'm going to ask our listeners to stay right there, folks. Don't go away. We're going to continue and wrap up our conversation with North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer on the other side of this break. And then Chip Roy, congressman from Texas, joins us later on Washington Watch. 
Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has released a new three-part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. In this series, Petrina Mosley, FRC's Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy, shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth through studying and applying the Bible's text. Now's the time to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible and learning what it says about God, humanity, and the power of Scripture. During this season of isolation, devote time to the Lord and seek out His meaning for you. In times of crisis and any time, this blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through His Word. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but your heart. To learn more, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. back to Faith and Freedom Friday. I'm Tony Perkins, your host of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Men, let me remind you, there's still time to sign up for the Stand Courageous Conference. It takes place this Saturday. You can watch it and be a part of it online. It's being uh, streamed online. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, continuing our conversation with South and uh, North Dakota, Senator Kevin Kramer. Um, Senator, thanks for sticking around, and, and I want you to finish your point, and then I've got another question for you. So just thank, thank you for that, Tony. So in, in the middle of this, in, in, in the middle of getting to know Abel as an infant, losing our son at the age of 35 on Abel's 11th birthday, and in the middle of that, while Chris and I were becoming sort of surrogate grandparents uh, because he's involved in this dysfunctional relationship with these dysfunctional people, he spent a lot of nights at our house. We were very convenient and very willing, I might add, <laughs> babysitters, because we just loved him so much from the very beginning. But I always liked the night shift, Tony. I don't know about you, but but with my children, I always liked the night shift because it was the time when I could be with them, the, you know, the, the, in the most intimate circumstances. And Abel was no exception. So when he'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd get up, you know, warm the bottle, uh, change his diaper, and all of this, all the while his, you know, his his mom and our son were out. God only knows doing what. But I'll never forget holding him and rocking him at night in his room on this antique rocking chair we still have, not knowing where my real son was and and weeping. And I'd cry out to God, Lord, I don't know what you have in mind, but I commit to you I will do anything for this little boy. And And what I was really saying was, I think I was saying I'll do anything for my son, and, and of course, the, the danger in that is when you pray something that specific, you just might end up getting it. Yeah. And so that's what happened to me. So when Abel became, you know, a three-year-old orphan, and, and everybody in his, his extended family, people who knew him and who didn't know him, wanted him, um, you know, we, all we did is made ourselves available. We didn't even really go to war for him until, until things just sort of boiled down. And then we got, you know, we got serious about it, but we just made ourselves available in the back of a courtroom on one day and established our standing as what, what the law calls, um, community grandparents. And lo and behold, he's my son. And all I can say is when you make a deal with God like that, <laughs> you'd better be ready for anything. And boy, are we blessed to have. 
I mean, it's also a display of God's grace. And, 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 and Senator, I want to ask you this question because as, as believers, oftentimes, you know, people think, well, you know, when you give your life to Christ and you follow him, everything is, uh, you know, rosy. Um, but you know, I find, and you know, a few years ago we went through we, our house flooded, and we went through all of that, and we're asking the Lord why. But I was also pastoring a church at the time, in addition to running FRC. But it helped us be sensitive to, to, to others, and, and and you can empathize when you've gone through this. And one of the things that really plagues our nation is addiction. What would you say to? Christian parents out there that are struggling and, and struggling with what did I do wrong? What did I do right? What, why am I facing this? What would you share with them based upon what the Lord has led you through? Well, a few things, Tony. First, first of all, it's, it really is easy to beat yourself up. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure that Chris and I are done doing it yet, to, to be honest. And yet, there's several things. One, I just say stay connected, stay connected to your church community. But really stay connected to the Lord, because the eternal perspective, first of all, is, is, is everything. Mm, yes. You know, whatever you're walking through at any given moment um, is, is nothing compared to eternity. So true. And it's really, And I think, Tony, I will say that I think even within the church today, part of what you talked about earlier, the discouragement that a lot of us feel, we forget about, we don't focus sometimes enough on some of on the, the, those fundamental theological points so walking with and the so Lord. so true. Right? Because it's sort of it's sort of a soothing balm for everything if if you have that that perspective. So I'd say that's the other thing is when you talk about God's grace, and I love the way you talk about it because the sufficiency of God's grace isn't just for salvation; it, it really is for living, and and it's for living and walking through whatever life has for you. Um, and then, but but I just say really be careful not to beat yourself up. It's, Especially when you understand, and I know there's lots of conflict about this. I've, I have a social work degree, as a matter of fact, and I was sort of a peculiar in that world, even in college, as a Christian and as a conservative. But um, do have, have do have empathy for what your child is going through, and understand that it that, that there's not there are no guarantees about you know you know the, the, a good life just because you accept Christ. What what there's a guarantee of is that Christ will walk through it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you won't walk through it, but that he's going to walk through it with you. And, and when it comes to the ultimate, you know, like in our situation with Isaac, where you actually lose a son, re- remember that our God did too, and he willingly did. And and that that's the price he was willing to pay for our salvation and for, you know, for, for the walking through life with his grace. Um, it's, He's he's very empathetic to what we're yes, going through, yes. and and while he allows it, he's also there with you in it. And to me, that's just the most comforting point of of, of all of it. That whatever we're going through, that the other end is um, you know are the crowns that and, and the jewels. Well, Senator, that is extremely good advice. Having internal perspective, I talk about that often because it takes us beyond the. The challenges, trials of today, and gives us the hope for tomorrow, and it, it just keeps everything in perspective. Senator Kramer, I want to thank you for taking time out to uh, to join us on this Friday edition of uh, Faith and Freedom. And by the way, North Dakota is the only state I haven't been to, and uh, so you know they keep inviting me in the winter time. But uh, but I'm going to come up there and visit you sometime in your home state of North Dakota. If you don't come in February, you really haven't been here. Well, I'm not so. coming in February. I can assure you of that. I'm from Louisiana. Well, listen, when you're down in Baton Rouge, look up my friend Dale Brown. In fact, I'm going I'm to tell right. him to call you. That's right. And Dale grew up in Minot. Hey, we got to and- go. Sorry, Senator. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increased pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. 
How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash sexuality. Again, that's frc.org slash sexuality. In today's culture, it can be difficult for men to navigate what it means to be a man and to find clear models of masculinity and manhood. There are many competing ideas out there and even confusion around the basic concepts of gender and sex. Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join me at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate leaders who understand the issues of the day. These issues will invest in unpacking our role as defenders, providers, instructors, and battle buddies so that men can have generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Join us at one of our upcoming events in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, or Virginia. Learn more about Stand Courageous and find an event near you at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. StandCourageous.com. With horrifying acceleration in recent years, verified reports of murders, rapes, mutilations, and kidnapping of Christians in Nigeria have persistently increased. These attacks are frequently accompanied by the torching of homes, churches, villages, and agricultural fields. A July 15, 2020 headline reports that over 1,000 Nigerian Christians were killed in the first six months of 2020. This is in addition to 11,000 Christians who have been killed since June 2015. News stories about the assaults in Nigeria are rarely reported in mainstream media outlets. But when they are, they're regularly explained away as effects of climate change, local feuds, or religious wars for which both sides bear equal responsibility. For more information about the persecution of Christians in Nigeria, read FRC's publication, The Crisis of Christian Persecution in Nigeria, at frc.org slash Nigeria. Welcome back to Faith and Freedom Friday. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we're stepping back from the you know, the normal politics and policies for uh, for something else on Fridays to hear the personal stories of faith of the men and women who serve as our elected leaders. Let me remind you, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it is at T. Perkins. And uh, men, once again, if you have not signed up for our Stand Courageous live stream, which comes Saturday, August the 15th, that's tomorrow, you can find the link at TonyPerkins.com. We've got... Uh, Hundreds of men all across America that are watching this in small groups, participating in it by themselves. But I encourage you, because of the uh, the inability to uh, to have the conferences we were going to have all across the country uh, because of the coronavirus, uh, we're doing it live, virtually. Now we are doing a live uh, event in Baton Rouge, so if you happen to be in Baton Rouge, you can uh, you can still join us. We still got room for you. Again, go to TonyPerkins.com and you can find out more about the Stand Courageous Conference coming up tomorrow. All right, as I was mentioning about uh, stepping back from the politics and policies, I, I, I have to say I think we were all encouraged by the story of God's grace being sufficient for the trials and tribulations of life, as we just heard from Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. Well, my next guest, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, has a, a history of standing for life, even in the midst of his own struggle. Uh, his uh, story, I think, gives us greater insight into his strong leadership on fundamental issues of the sanctity of life, the importance of the family, and the irreplaceable freedom of religion. Before his uh, career as a congressman, uh, Chip Roy served as a former federal prosecutor and a top advisor to uh, many prominent Texas elected officials. He previously served as chief of staff to Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, staff director of Senator John Cornyn of Texas in the leadership office there and the senior counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. He now serves on the Budget, Oversight, and Veterans Affairs Committees and is the ranking member on of the uh, Oversight Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. 
His district stretches from south of uh, Austin through the Hill Country down to San Antonio. Congressman Chip Roy, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me on. Thanks for everything y'all do to, you know, promote uh, our faith and these challenging times and how important they are to our, uh, you know, overall health as a republic. and the the centrality of our faith to the strength of this great nation. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And without question, I do believe it is central. That's why it's our first freedom. The freedom to exercise a religion can't be mandated, but it should should not. The founders understood it should not be restricted. And and I want to talk with you, uh, Congressman Roy, about the centrality of your faith and how it gives guidance and direction to you. We were just talking with Senator Kramer about that. How, how important is your personal faith, your, uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how important is that in giving guidance and direction to you, even as a member of Congress? Well, Tony, obviously it, it is, uh, it's central to our existence, uh, or at least it's supposed to be, right? Sometimes we, we veer. But uh, it, but I think we embrace that and know that to know uh, what it means to be fallen. Uh, I've, I spoke recently on the floor of the House of Representatives about why it was so critically important for us to stand up in defense of our country, to stand up for America, to stand up proudly. I went up on July 2nd up to Independence Hall in Philadelphia uh, uh, to record a video talking about the great thing that was done there 244 years uh, prior to that day, on that day. Uh, went by uh, Fort McHenry, where Francis Scott Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner, went down to the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, and went down to Teddy Roosevelt Island, uh, went down to George Washington Monument. These are all things that I wanted to do to highlight for the American people. These aren't just bricks and mortar. They're not just stones. They're not just iron and marble. But they represent an ideal, and an ideal that our country laid out. Um, and, and it, it, when, when, when the Declaration talks about our rights, right, they talk about them being endowed by our Creator. Uh, these are the things that are fundamental to our existence, and we are fallen men, and that's really important mm-hmm. to understand. Yes. We will never achieve all of the ideals we lay out and, and set out because we're fallen. But we achieve greatness as a nation trying to strive to achieve those things, recognizing our failures and our humility as fallen men, knowing that the Lord sent His Son uh, so that we could have everlasting life, we know that, and it informs everything about our being, and that we strive to be better, we strive to walk, and we fail, and then we get back on the horse, and, and we, we keep trying to walk with the Lord. And so that, that informs my whole philosophy about how to approach Washington, not as arrogant know-it-alls in D.C. who want to tell everybody how to live, but rather as humble servants who want to have a system of government that's the you know, what, what is the old adage, it's the worst except for all the others, right? right. The, the, the best form of government that the world has ever known to preserve liberty, to preserve our rights, and to allow us to be free to live according to the dictates of our conscience and to follow our Lord. And that's, that's what we're there to do. But that's so good, uh, Chip, because when we, we, we look at this, there's a standard. And we, we've set a standard for ourselves. It's a high standard as a nation. And as you, as you very clearly pointed out, we've not We've not always reached that standard. In fact, we've fallen woefully short many, many times. But we don't throw out the standard. The same is true in our personal relationship. Paul said the law is a tutor. You know, it it leads us to Christ. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot be good enough. But we don't throw out the standard. It is is there as something we, we use as a benchmark. And we... We strive to be better, and I think America's story is America is a story of grace, a story of redemption. That's the story of the human race, and and I think it's it's the story of those who follow Christ as well individually as well as uh, collectively. It's important we tell those stories, and and it's the story of perseverance, right? It's the story. You know, my grandmother was a single mom in West Texas, in Sweetwater, Texas, raising my polio-stricken father. My father had received a diagnosis in September of 1949. My grandfather was dying of cancer. He passed away in November. Uh, then my grandmother's there as a single mom, raising my dad, had my two-year-old uncle, um, and my dad survived, and she did all the work of getting up at four in the morning to take him to therapy and so that he could walk and have a normal childhood. He's still walking today as a polio survivor at 77 years old and was the first to go to college in his family. I was the first to go to graduate school and obviously ended up in Congress. That's the American story. Mm. That's the American 
way of doing things. Um, she could have given up, but she relied on her faith. She relied, and, and it was something that I learned in an early age, how much her faith got her through that period. Her, grand, her dad, my great-grandfather, had lost the farm in the Depression. Not an uncommon story. You're from the South. You know many of these stories. And had lost the farm in the Depression. So here, you know, then she loses her husband. You know, you could curl up in a ball and retreat. Yes. Or you could dive into your faith and know that the good Lord has uh, a much more important and larger mission for us and that we carry forward and we persevere and we persevere in our faith and our strength as a country and that's so important right now during this pandemic it's been important during many struggles over the years previous pandemics world war ii getting through other issues defeating and you know the polio vaccine putting a man on the moon we 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 persevere we strive and that's that's the greatness of our country in action well and i alluded to this in the introduction that personal example of your grandmother was something that led you that well, was actually very essential to to your own journey because it, on your the week of your 39th birthday you were diagnosed with stage three uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and with cancer and you know what got you through that? Well, that is true, and and that story of my grandmother and my other family members and other good examples who were faithful servants who followed uh, our Lord to get through these you know tough times. Um, those were examples. I, I, it was obviously a bit of a shock to the system to get that diagnosis. And I had a four-year-old, I'm sorry, a four-month-old daughter and a two-year-old son. Uh, my wife, you know, is, is kind of staring at this. And, you know, it's always tougher on the spouses, these diagnoses and diagnoses and these battles with illnesses. Um, you know, and I, I told the story on the floor of the house. I, I had a great doctor uh, from from Damascus, uh, Syria, actually, um, and he at MD Anderson, and and I went down to talk to him and had stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. I said, well, you know, what are my odds, doctor? I mean, you know, and he, he looked at me. He said, you know, it's either zero percent or a hundred percent, and you know, it's your choice. And you know, I chose a hundred percent. I chose, you know, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to. I want to see my kids graduate. I want to. I want to be there to help raise them. I want to be there with my wife, and I want to. I want to beat this. I'm going to put it all in the Lord's hands, and I'm going to have faith, and uh, and I'm going to let Him be able to do the work to heal me. And through the hands of these great doctors and the great medicines, I used a trial drug that's now the standard of care. And uh, you know, I was, I, it was a it was an experience that obviously you wouldn't choose, but all of these things work to build build yeah. you up and make you the sum total of who you are. And and I'm a stronger person for it. And and I, I actually remember that process because you, um, you know, we've known each other for a, a number of years, and, and you sent out uh, regular updates uh, to folks that were praying for you, that joined you in that process of, of prayer. And, and I think that even that was preparation for being in Congress because I, I know that as many, many members I've talked to that have, and I know it's true in my life, having those who join you in prayer and interceding for you as you take on the the challenges that you do as a as a congressman are are, are absolutely essential. Yeah, I mean, I was um, when I went through that during that time. I was, as you know, I'd left the Hill being a staffer and was uh, back out. I was actually then working at that time for Governor Rick Perry. And just a little side note, I know you know Governor Perry well. Uh, not a better man to work for going through a circumstance like that mm-hmm. because he was there for me. He was praying for me. Let me tell you a quick story on that. I'm sorry to, to divert from your question or your statement. But during the pres- I was working for him during the presidential campaign. Now, obviously, that didn't end up going the way he wanted that to go. But he actually called me. I'd been down to MD Anderson getting treatment, and he called me from one of the debates. Uh, and literally 10 minutes before going on the debate stage, he was checking in on me to see how I was doing. Now, I joke with him. I said, don't blame me for the debates. But, but you know, you, you know, it matters who you have around you when you're going through things like that. And so when I translate that to being in Congress, and I think through the Lord gave me another shot uh, to continue uh, on this earth and this brief time we're here and how can I take that and use that to save this republic for my kids my grandkids so that they can know not just freedom but know the Lord we know that a free country like ours uh, has meant more for more people in terms of prosperity and 
you know, in terms of overall life expectancy, but also the ability to know the Lord. The existence of the United States of America, our just our very existence, has meant religious freedom and the opportunity for people to know the Lord more than any country in the history of the world in terms of our impact. And think about that. I mean, what other point is there for living? Like, living free is great. As a human being, I like to live free, but there's a purpose to living free. Yes. And it's to honor the Lord. Yeah, and that's so good because individually, that's our purpose as believers is to make Christ known. But as a nation, we have the ability to shape the policies by exercising the freedoms we have that enable others to know the truth. I mean, right now we see this, uh, not to divert too much into the policy side, but I can't help but talking about it. We've got an administration that has done more to advance religious freedom internationally than any administration we've seen in modern time. It's made it, they've made it, Mike Pompeo made it a top foreign policy priority. We've got, uh, we were talking about this with Senator Kramer. You know, we've got so many men and women in Congress who are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. This is not the time to grow weary in well-doing. We need, we need believers across this country to redouble their efforts and continue to support men and women like yourself who are called by God to be in these uh, fundamental roles. Well, and you're raising something here. Again, I want to stay talking about faith and its role in public policy and not get into the specifics of campaigns or politics. And whatever one thinks of the president of the United States and, and, um, He's a good example of what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the greatness of this country personified in terms of our what it means, right? Like, let's take Jerusalem. Let's just pick one example. Right. There's, there's dozens. This country, this nation, under this president, uh, honored our commitment to recognize Jerusalem as the capital and move our embassy there. Now, that, that seems like, okay, that's just a footnote in history. It's not really a footnote in history. That is a central recognition of Israel, a central recognition of our friendship and relationship with Israel, and the importance of Jerusalem, the center of, of mankind. And that's really important. And everyone, you know, on the on the naysayers, right, the left, they're saying, oh, yeah, you're bumbling around, you're going to create all sorts of issues. No, but, no you know what? By doing that, other countries follow. Yeah. We've had numerous other countries follow the lead of the United States, recognize Jerusalem consider moving their embassy to, to Jerusalem. That's how you can have active engagement as a nation, as a free nation, in a way that advances uh, the, the mission, advances the, the, the kingdom of the Lord by standing up and leading. It matters. Yes. It really matters. Uh, elections have consequences. And again, as I was talking with Senator Kramer earlier, one of the reasons I think the media doesn't highlight uh, the significant presence of men and women of faith in Congress is to try to discourage believers from being involved, that we'll just kind of give up and and go away. Speaking of going away, uh, unfortunately, Congressman Chip Roy, we're out of time and we got to go away for today. But I want to thank you for joining us. And I know you're going to be back on again, Washington Watch real soon. So thanks so much for joining us today and sharing more of your story of faith, story of God's grace and uh, where he has placed you in our nation in terms of leadership. Thanks so much for being with us. God bless, Tony. Thank you. All right, uh, Congressman Chip Roy. To find out more about him or Senator Kramer, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow the links over. Thanks so much for joining us for this Faith and Freedom Friday. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.